0: The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. We are spiritual
1: beings having a human experience. This is UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world.
0: Are you ready to create a life that's intentional and dynamic? Welcome to The Intentional Spirit with your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. And welcome everyone and thank you so much for being here and thank you for joining me. And wow, do we have a day ahead for you. Um, It has been such an absolute pleasure to serve you as your host here on The Intentional Spirit with Unity Online Radio. Um, This is our last uh, week uh, to be there. Uh, Unity has made the decision to release the radio show, and I will be moving my radio show to um, uh, mindbodyspirit.fm, and I will make you aware of that through social media, so please be attentive. Mm -hmm. More importantly, though, is our guest today. And so I am so thrilled to to really honor uh, this incredible author that um, one of the first times I met him, I said, wow, you're going to create a whole evolution and a whole new window when it comes to death. So welcome to our show today, William Peters. I'm so glad you're here.
1: Temple, good to be here. A real honor to be on your show and Good to see you're going to be going somewhere else as well, so so you can continue oh, your yeah. work. Oh,
0: yeah, Good. absolutely. The work must be done, you know, so when you have the calling, as you know, uh-huh. it reveals itself in some way and in some situation. You know, I was thinking about you earlier because I was thinking, uh, first and foremost, you have created energy in conversations on one of the most necessary topics on the planet And I was also thinking that you also picked a topic that at all costs, people want to avoid talking about, period, because everybody is pretending, you know, that it's never going to happen to them or anybody that they know. And that's the topic called death. So one of the things I was kind of intuitively guided is, I would like you, obviously, we have plenty of time to talk about your new leading edge book, but um, at Heaven's Door. But I would like to start with just a little chronological line in your life of how William Peters, you know, picked this instead of being a volleyball coach or, you know, or or pick this instead of, you know, because it's a topic. And it's a topic that literally, it's almost like calling for an offering in a spiritual community. People stop breathing. (laughs) So I really, um, I wanted to hear a little bit more. I wanted our audience to hear. Obviously, I've chatted with you um, through these last couple of years. Walk us through, how, how did this become important to you that you're willing to move your life aside and say, here I am here's my banner. I stand for this. Here's my book. And this is, is very important because I know it is because of my life experiences.
1: Yeah. Thank you for um, starting that way. Because yeah, when you said, you know, why don't you become a volleyball coach? The thought went through my mind. I think that would have been a lot more enjoyable in some ways. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. um, because, you know, my experiences, um, My primary experience, I think the real fork in the road happened when I was 17 years old, Uh, you know, living a, you know, suburban, upper middle class life, very athletic, really enjoyed having fun, uh, pretty standard, you know, 17 year old boy, if you want a young man. But I had a skiing accident, uh, a severe one, in which I fractured my spine. And I was catapulted out of my body and had, you know, a classic uh, near-death experience, you know, saw, sailed away from my body on the ski slopes, uh, had a life review, went through a beautiful rib tunnel, could see the, the awe-inspiring galaxy, cosmos, you know, eternity, if you will. And then I saw the light. And when I saw the light, I didn't have the response that most NDEers have. My first response was, oh, I'm I'm dying, and I don't want to die. That life that I just lived is ended, and I don't want that. Mm-hmm. And something about me, uh, which still persists till today, is uh, I'm a, pretty much a, 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 an outspoken person for things that are important to me. And so I started negotiating with God. Uh, I, I refer to that light as God. I grew up Catholic, and— I really pled with God. I haven't, I didn't complete what I came to that life to do. And I don't know. I mean, I didn't know why I was saying that it was just a deep, deep realization. I did not complete what I came into this incarnation to complete. And as you're, as I'm saying that I'm realizing what I didn't share was in that space where I realized I was dying. I realized I had been in that space hundreds, if not thousands of times previously, and it was very familiar. And that's why I had the realization, ah, damn I didn't do what I came to this life to do. So as you can tell I came back and uh, that experience didn't didn't uh, really come across my mind in any conscious way for a, a quite some time maybe a, a decade past before I even realized that I had that experience a near-death experience. Uh, this was in 1979 and but it changed me. For one, I was in a great deal of chronic pain. Uh, you know they, there wasn't much they could do. To me, in a the ways, there was no real fix, so I was limited in all my physical activity, I uh, had trouble walking episodically couldn't sit for long at all. so my life changed completely. Uh, my identity as a healthy, active young man changed not to say that I didn't continue to push myself I did i did I did travel, I did as much sports as I could, uh, mostly swimming and things like that but i 've always prided myself not just out of pride but really valued health and getting out in the world and and you know doing what I could to become basically a conscious person. Uh, And so I actually, after that, had a major life change in terms of career and trajectory. I ended up living and working in Central and South America, uh, you know, in Peru, one of the countries I was living in, civil wars were happening. So I was really brought face to face with death and dying and in a way that uh, was not pretty. Uh, and so I'll come back to that a bit later, but that was something that really hit me pretty hard. Um, but I was thankful for the experience and to deal with death and dying, quite frankly, in a shamanic culture, these were indigenous people I was dealing with and their understanding of life fit into a larger trajectory of a soul's journey, if you will. Uh, also worked in the AIDS epidemic when I re- returned back to the San Francisco Bay area. Uh, and so I was hired <laughs> because I spoke Spanish and could work with all the immigrants coming in from Central and South America in the late 80s, early 90s. And then the AIDS epidemic uh, happened. And I found myself working with a lot of primarily gay men dying of AIDS. And I started hearing spiritual experiences at the end of life. And I, they rang true to me uh, because I had a near-death experience. So I mean, I'll tell a short story. I mean, you know, I talk this, about this in my book, but Brad was a client of mine and he was a type of you know, what we call psychopomp or death doula. Uh, he was helping his brothers, as he called them, die because he was living in a home and encampment, as so many were during this time. And he was kind of this person that would usher um, his community, create the rituals and help people die. So he came in one morning. And, said, and he, looked, he looked disheveled and wiped out, beleaguered. And he said to me, I said to him, Brad, what's up? I mean, you, you look really out of it. And he proceeded to say, yes, uh, I haven't slept very much. Uh, Randy died last night. And I said, oh, Randy. I said, I'm so sorry. And he said, oh, no. He says, don't, don't be sorry. It was the most beautiful death. And I said, well, please explain. And he explained that Randy, uh, upon his Physical death ascended up a cylinder of light, stopped above uh, this community of brothers who were with him. Looked down and essentially bowed to each of them, saying, "Thank you for caring for me. Uh, oh, you can, see- really yeah, yeah. You can see that I'm alive and well, and uh, I love you, and I'm going on." And what 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 Brad recounted to me, and I'll never forget this conversation, is. He said he looked so healthy and vibrant and happy, which was such a profound difference from Randy just moments before, who was uh, besieged by the HIV virus in the, in the early 90s that was just causing gruesome deaths. Um, and so when I heard that, I I wasn't aware that I'd had a near-death experience that was somewhat similar, but it fit with me. I had an inherent openness, so I didn't doubt. I said, oh, that makes sense. I I didn't say that. I said, okay, tell me more. And I got very curious. I would hear many more of these experiences. And then, you know, I also later worked in Zen hospice, primarily as my interest in this field grew. But all the time, not really making a career choice in this uh, until – I met Raymond Moody in 2009, and in that moment, he was providing the first research ever on the shared death experience in a Western context. I mean, he popularized the term shared death experience. When I heard that in 2009, I was already a practicing psychotherapist. I was already working with grief and bereavement and spirituality, uh, spiritual experiences in particular. And when I heard Raymond share the story, I was like, I'll share the research. I said, oh my, I know all about this. In that moment, my life changed and I became, I dedicated myself to being a researcher and working with people to develop methods uh, that where they could enable this shared death experience. I should say the shared death experience is an experience where somebody dies and a caregiver, loved one, or bystander, sometimes just a healthcare bystander, reports that they shared in the journey with the dying into a benevolent afterlife. At least the initial stages, very familiar or similar to the near-death experience in terms of phenomena. As I shared my experience, my near-death experience, many of the phenomena, like seeing the light, like seeing. Oh, I didn't. Well, I didn't see deceased relatives, but a lot of people do. That's the most dominant feature in the uh, shared death experience: is that the experiencer, the the, uh, the human who's still in the human realm, sees the dying, sees the deceased move through these processes in the initial stages of the afterlife, and often sees elevated beings described as light beings, um, angels, uh, also deceased relatives, aunts, uncles, grandparents, mothers, fathers. All this happens in this beautiful realm uh, of the initial stages of the afterlife. So that's how I got into it. Thank you for asking. It's uh, it's quite a story. I would never imagine at 17 years old, at 20 years old, or even in my 30s that I would be doing this now in my 50s.
0: Yeah, and I I think that um, you know for me, um, that is part of you know being an intentional spirit is that things happened early on in your life that shapes shifted so I I know that as human beings we have free will and choice but yet there's still something to be said with how we are shaped if we'll allow ourselves to be shaped and um, I was thinking of um, one time I took training at um, a hospital to be a chaplain not a local spiritual community chaplain, but a very intensive training. And um, when it came time for people to share, you know, how, how many times have you had someone die? And I was in my 40s then. And I said, you don't have enough time for me to name and mm-hmm. tell you all the things I was fortunate that I had all my great-grandparents, my grandparents, my great-uncles, my great but I've and cousin die and drowning and my, my grandfather namesake die, blah, 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 blah. And I went, so death has been all around me. And so though my story is very different than yours, I had to come to a place where I could sit with, what can I do about that? You know, so for me, my passion became about well, I'm not going to die while I'm living, right because i'm I'm gonna die, and i I can't seem to wrap my head around that. I don't wanna even want to focus on that, but I want to focus on not dying while I'm alive. so my point in all that is that I'm very comfortable in that conversation of you know how are you dying now? People look at you like, what I mean yeah, how are you you're in that job you don't want to be. Well, you're dying a little every day, but you are so comfortable with, I'm not implying you take it for granted, but because you welcome this opening in your heart, you have more and more experiences that come to you. And that's why I'm so thrilled that you're sharing this because it requires people to open. It's like we say about people saying, well, I don't have any miracles in my life. It's like, did you breathe today? Yeah. Um, are you still breathing? Yes. Well, you had a miracle happen. Did your heart beat? Well, that's two miracles right there. So build on that, you know? So, um, anyway, I'm, I'm one of your, I'm one of your cheerleaders out there in the field going, yay, go, go. So it's just, it's, it's very, uh, exciting what you're doing. And, um, and, and the space of that, I, I wanted to tell you something, because this happened since I've seen you a teacher of mine from way back years ago. Uh, it wound up that over these last say seven, eight years, we were in contact again and emailing and, and things like that. There had been this huge, you know, 25, 30 year gap. Um, and, uh, One day I get a call from her and she said, I really want to talk to you, which our standard way was emailing. And I call her up. She said, my beloved uh, temple, my beloved student, I just wanted to talk to you because I wanted you to know this is the last time you will ever hear my human voice. I'm going into hospice tomorrow tomorrow. I am dying and I wanted to hear your voice and I wanted you to hear me. I'm like, that's from work that Raymond Moody, that William Peters, that's the kind of work that you are doing in the world that allow that kind of healthy space of that, you know, that that just changed my heart that like, wow, I want to be like her when I grow up. You know, (laughs) right? Wow. Wow.
1: Yeah, that see that type of, uh, you know, using comfort is not really the right term, but in a certain way it is. And I'll tell you why I think it is that way, because what I see so often is that people are facing an end-of-life situation. A cancer diagnosis is so common. Um, You know, uh, aging, just aging. You know, we have so many elders in our world now. And they're, in a certain sense, they're deluding themselves to think that they're not going to be dying anytime soon. And the reality is that the people I 'm talking about, most of them are actually going to be dying relatively soon. When I say soon, I'm saying like you know months within a year, maybe two years but the, the the challenge or the I should say the the issue I have with the delusion is that that conversation that your teacher had with you that is the conversation the conversations we need to be having across our culture all the time with our elders, because what she gave you is this gift of saying to you, listen, temple. I'm telling you that I know I'm dying and I'm not in denial. There's no delusion here. I'm going into hospice. I'm going to be done. This is the last conversation. And I want to create a space where we can connect about what's true and what's real. And let's not let the distractions of delusion of thinking this is a conversation we can have later. No, it's not. And I think that directness is such a gift because we all just do this kind of codependent dance around death. It's like, well, I don't want to make her anxious. Well, I don't want to make him anxious. Or, you know, the dying says, I want to tell my kids because they're going to get anxious and the kids don't want to say to the mom, I think you're dying because I want to make her anxious. The whole thing is nothing but uh, a lack of truthfulness. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I mean that with um, directness, but I'm a very, you know, Temple, not you and I talk quite a bit. I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a compassionate person, but I think that we do a very, we engage in a very uncompassionate, uncaring act when we don't tell our loved ones what we are feeling inside of ourselves. About our own life, and if we're a caregiver, loved one, um, we don't express our concern for our loved ones, you know. And I have, I mean, I have just a, a situation just last week where a man called me and said, you know, I'm dying and my family doesn't know it, but I know I am, and I don't want to disappoint them. And I said, you know, I think you need to call a family meeting, and I'm happy to facilitate it. You know, where I can say, hey, your father. Your spouse has something to say to you, and I really want to create a space here so everybody can take some breaths and realize this conversation we're going to have is going to be one that your father needs to have. But every one of you here, children, spouse, best friend, this is a conversation you will remember forever. This will be this. Yeah. And so, and so, like I said, so there's steps here that can be taken and your teacher just modeled a beautiful one. I'm just wondering, Temple, what was, what happened after you made contact around that existential reality that this is the last conversation, because in my experience, that opens a space for a richer, deeper, you know, um, an opportunity for an amazing conversation. Actually, after you established that this is our last conversation, your teacher's dying. Now what?
0: Right right well it's such a ripple effect you know first and foremost i was honored that she called me that i was one of those however many or whatever that i was a person she called and that 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 my my last moment because you know, and I know that that's one of the things that comes up, either an expected death or non-expected death, which really the bigger picture, as you say, I'm compassionate to. But all death is to be expected if you're living, you know. So, but with the expected death, the fact that what people usually say is, and I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. I didn't get a chance to say thank you. Well, first and foremost, we ought to do that every day. I drive some of my close friends crazy because I'm like you, my close, close friends are few and far between, mm. but I say all the time, I just love you. I appreciate you. And you know, because I learned that because I want to make sure those are the last things that exit my lips. Cause I don't know if I'll see you again ever, yeah. because yeah. that's real. That's what life looks like. But I was so grateful that I had the chance for that. And then the ripple effect from that was then I went on an inner shamanic journey inside myself about how she had impacted me, how what I had learned from her. And did I really learn? Because if I did, then I would be exemplifying those qualities. And then the ripple effect from that is that's the seed I'm planting of how I want to be. I want to be able to, from the dying bed, if I have the good fortune of being aware of it, to pick up the phone and call someone and say, this is the last time you will be hearing my human voice. That was just, um, it was huge. Exactly what you said. And probably in ways that I don't even know yet Yeah, because it was so needed. It's so needed in our society and it's so healthy. Um, rather than living in the land of denial and pretending if we never talk about it it's not gonna happen. And like you were saying of the man that went, no, I don't want a disappointment. The disappointment is cheating someone from being able to have the experience with you that really that really loves you. Yeah. You know, I, I had another teacher that just shut me out because she was doing a natural choice death with breast cancer and she didn't want me to see what was happening to her body. So she was angry and shut down and, you know, so that's another kind of experience. Right. So, uh, yeah. And that's, as you know, I'm such an advocate for all that you're about because, um, it's so, so necessary. Yeah. Yeah necessary. And, um, and so, and our, obviously our whole second half, we want to hear all about the book and some of the steps and obviously everyone, you can go to amazon.com and you can purchase the book. Um, it's presented by Simon and Schuster. The book is doing extremely well, but let's make it our mission to make sure it does even better. And, um, for sure. And so when did it come to you? We have a couple of minutes here. When did it come to you or find you that it needed to be in, in book and audio form, William?
1: You know, I, um, I realized about 12 years ago that we needed a research project to really bring these spiritual end-of-life experiences uh, to the healthcare community, to the medical community primarily, and to mental health providers who deal in grief and bereavement. Because what happens when you bring a, sh- a spiritual experience into a medical setting is we don't have the language. We don't have the understanding for spiritual experiences in a medical setting. Now, you as a spiritual you know, person, reverend, what have you, uh, and your particular training experience have a... a, 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 a Unique openness, even among spiritual leaders, you're very unique in that way. Um, But so you can run into, and I was seeing this, people coming into resistance in medical settings. So I realized the only way I was going to be able to influence them was to do research. And so did a long research project, was published in the American Journal of Hospice and Palliative Medicine, a very prestigious journal. It's been published, our research has been published other places. This then provided the foundation to then go um, to a major publisher and do a general audience uh, book
0: I'm so glad they listened to you everyone we're talking to William Peters you can find him on Facebook at Heaven's Door you can google him let's go to Amazon and get that book we'll be right back after this short break
1: You're listening to UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world.
0: Welcome back to The Intentional Spirit with Reverend Temple Hayes. And welcome back, everyone. And I'm sure you're thinking exactly what I'm thinking what an author to end our experience as the intentional spirit here on Unity Online Radio. I don't even know how many years I've been on Unity Online Radio, and it's been near and dear to my heart. I have by far met some of the most unique people on the planet uh, by hosting this uh, radio show. And none other to than today is no different in that um, that's actually how I met you, William, is uh, a couple of years ago in discussion about you you being on this show and what that would look like and, and uh, the experience. And um, so I just want to thank Jeff Comfort and Diane Ray for all the effort and the energy that they have put into the show and thank Unity Worldwide uh, headquarters for hosting it for so long. It's been a real special thing near and dear to my heart. And how appropriate we're talking about death, <laughs> and so um, William. So you had kind of prepped us before our our break time about you know you had had data and and all these things, and that you know that's I feel what made Edgar Casey you know so significant is because he did case studies and he had things documented, and it wasn't just ethereal or you know, out there, kumbaya, it was factual information. And uh, your book has only been out a, a very short window of time. I'm so glad it's doing well. But take it from here and, and walk us through some of the things that you feel are significant before we can get that book into people's hands.
1: Thank you. Yeah, so the, you know, I'll say the approach to, you know, writing the book, what I was thinking as I was crafting it was that I wanted to have the stories of ordinary people uh, lead the way in sharing this, this really, it's a pattern. It's this, the shared death experience is this pattern that happens for many people at the end of life. We don't know how many people, because we don't, we don't, we don't know how many people are actually having shared death experiences, because They're still not out in our culture in any significant way where people feel, quite frankly, safe to talk about them. And most of the people that I have interviewed, either clinically uh, or then later in the research, they would often say, you're either the first, second uh, or third person I've shared this story with. Rarely did anyone share it with more than a handful of people. And so we know that the shared death experience, these experiences are happening Um, and we suspect that they're happening a lot more than people know because very few people are talking about it. So when I wrote the book, I started by sharing really common experiences that people have around end of life and saying how these experiences occur if, if you remember, you know, Temple, the first story is about this uh, woman, uh, Gail, who talks about being at the bedside in a hospital while her father's uh, just in the hospital. She doesn't think he's dying. Uh, she, she thinks he's just in the hospital. And then all of a sudden he has a seizure. They usher her down to the waiting room. And while she's in the waiting room, something happens to her. She gets drawn into this beautiful scene where she's walking with her father down a pathway, a country path that's gorgeous. She's comfortable. She feels his presence with her. Then she starts hearing voices coming from a kind of an estate, a very nice residence that has a wall or a gate in front of it. And she starts hearing people referring to her father saying, Walter's coming, Walter's coming. We have to get ready for Walter. Let's prepare Walter. And she gets the sense that this group of people whose voices she recognizes as deceased relatives from Walter's early years, if you will. Um, and Walter then proceeds to enter into the party and everyone's excited. But Gail needs to stay outside the gate. She realizes she's not welcome in that party. That's for people. Uh, who have passed on, if you will. And so she talks about how heartwarming it was for her to be with her father, to see him going, to be welcomed by deceased relatives on the other side, to know that her father is alive and well in a benevolent afterlife. And she had a sense that she would see him again because all her deceased relatives were alive and well and welcoming, welcoming him home in a certain way. So these are the experiences. Many, that's just one of 28 that I share. And I talk about the various patterns that constitute the SDE. At this point, what, have ident- what I have identified as a clinical researcher and now, you know, formal researcher and the academic side of things is that this pattern is very easily um, Kind of identified and, and it's replicated over and over again in the book in very beautiful but distinct representations. Not everybody has the same experiences at all. There is no shared death experience It's the same. They're all uh, highly personal. What we find is that journey is the dominant motif uh, from this life to the next. We find that relationships are central between the people having the SDE because sometimes there's more than one person having the SDE uh, surviving loved ones. And we also find that, um, that the SDE, as I've said earlier, really replicates so much of the phenomena we see in the near death experience. And so that tells us we're in a common landscape. We're in a landscape that lives right beyond a human life and is the initial stages of an afterlife and that it's imbued with love and the highest virtues and affective sublime experiences. So for me, as we've talked about, I I want people to be at peace with death. I want people to know that that the most uh, cutting edge research tells us that death is not to be feared. In fact, it's a far more desirable existence than the one we're having right now. Uh, The human realm has a great deal of suffering for those of us who I think really take this um, really are reflective and honest about what we experience here. It doesn't mean it doesn't have joy. It does. As the Buddhists say, 10,000 joys, 10,000 sorrows. Uh, We don't have problems with the joys. We have, we have challenges with the sorrows. Uh, And so the near death experience suggests that uh, and, and the near and the shared death experiences and other spiritual experiences at the end of life, that what awaits us, at least initially, is a very beautiful homecoming filled with gratitude, appreciation, and just sublime feelings that are not able to be experienced here in the human realm. So, I mean, I encourage people um, to do to do their own exploration because once you learn about the shared death experience, what I have found in my community is people naturally transform into ambassadors for talking about this experience because it it really. It really holds out a different way of looking at end of life that's far more, not just positive, it's realistic, it invites deeper connection, and it allows us to um, connect more deeply with everyone in our life as we approach the only experience that we know we're going to have, which is death.
0: And, you know, one of the things you were saying is that because as a culture, um, we have such a disconnect with, you know, if we understood that most of our sorrows create the space for us to have more joy. Yes. Right. It, it's like somebody asked me one time in an interview, how is it that you're so joyful? And I said, because I've understood that joy is not the absence of pain or sorrow, it's the inclusion of.
1: Hmm.
0: And, and the more you can work with that concept that those deep wounds and things that happen make you more, not less. But, of course, that's a whole other thing with our culture because it doesn't sell uh, pharmaceuticals and make you codependent to the universe. But all that said, you know, one of the things you were saying is the other thing is that, yes, there's sadness about death, but people angry. That their card is being pulled and they're not ready. And that was a terrible experience with my shamanic teacher uh, because she was so angry, and it shut people out. I, I don't want to judge her. I'm just simply stating facts that that made it, you know, very difficult. But I think one of the things in that that we're inviting people is to share the experiences with you you know, to to write in, to leave comments on your website and things of that nature, and to share them with uh, one another or to talk about them. Like, I had a dream one time of this woman that had been a member of my community, but I really didn't know her. But in the dream, I lived somewhere else then at the time. And in the dream, I saw her just scooting down the road in her little red doodle bug, there she was, and we're, you know, waving at each other. And I responded to that. I, I didn't say, well, j- that was just a dream, or why did I think of Shannon? I picked up the phone, and I called somebody that lived locally. And I said, I had this dream about Shannon. Well, she died yesterday. So, you know, it's, it's the following it through uh, to learn more. And um, and not making assumptions about that.
1: Right. Yeah. And I I love that you that you shared that experience with Shannon, because what we find is that uh, a those experiences happen much more commonly than we know. And you are you know, you have the confidence and wherewithal and wisdom to know that if you have an intuitive hit like that, that you will reach out and follow up. Um, Most people don't. Um, But when you do. It, it, it strengthens that intuitive spiritual muscle to both connect and respond to Shannon, as you did, and to others who are transitioning. And then you have this, this very special opportunity. Uh, maybe Shannon wasn't, you know, you weren't close enough to Shannon to have that. But what I find in our research supports is that people will have an ongoing relationship with their departed loved one. Uh, and we call that continuing bonds.
0: Oh, I definitely have that. I yeah. have that in my life, um, for sure. Yeah. Um, a number of people communicate with me, and uh, it's starting to get crowded like a <laughs> like a group. But, uh, but that's okay. But yes, um, and those are the things for us to talk about as well. You know, okay. so where do people um, send their information uh, that your staff can access it? Uh, William, obviously. Yeah. There's a team of people that keep up with this. Where do you want that information sent?
1: So you can do one of two things. You can go to our website, sharedcrossing.com, and just go to the contact page. uh, And, or yeah, just there's some, they've changed the menu headings at the top, but you'll see where to go. And then you go there and then you'll be a place, uh, share your story. And then you can just, we have a form that you can send it, just fill out. It's a fill-in form. And then one of our researchers will get back to you, uh, confirming that we received it. And there's another way you can just write your story to info at sharedcrossing.com, info at sharedcrossing.com. And then one of our uh, researchers will get your story and respond back to you. Uh, But I also want to encourage your listeners to go to sharedcrossing.com and go to our story library. There we have video accounts uh, from our research that have been curated three to five minutes and they'll tell uh, these profound end-of-life stories of communication and connection with their loved ones as they're transitioning. They're extremely heartwarming. and, And really as the feedback we get from the story library is things like, I had no idea, you know, thank you for sharing these stories, because now I've really heard people talk about them. Now, that's an easy way to get direct access right now. Um, and obviously, the book uh, is much more uh, developed in terms of how I talk about uh, the people themselves, their relationships, their religious views, spiritual views, um, and how this experience transformed them. And I should say, that one of the reasons that I am most interested and committed to getting word out about the shared death experience is yes, because it really transforms our relationship to death and dying, which we need all of us, most of us in our culture, but the benefits when you have a shared death experience, the after effects are profound. Uh, I think it's up to 90% of our research participants report knowing, not believing, knowing that their, their departed loved one is alive and well in a benevolent afterlife. They feel a great deal of peace, knowing that their loved one is not just okay, they are really happy and safe and cared for, but much similar to the story that Gail, I shared with Gail early, knowing that her father, Walter, was with loved ones and was going to be well cared for and was happy, and she could just breathe out a sigh of relief saying, Wow, family members on the other side now have my father. Everything's cool, and and so the other piece is that uh, people's anxiety around death and dying diminishes immensely. So most people that have a shared death experience will say, "I no longer fear death. Not only that, I'm excited about death. I want to prepare for death. I want to, you know, talk to all my loved ones about getting uh, ready for death whenever that may come." No one's really trying to leave their earthly existence. Uh, any earlier than than their appointed time, if you will, but they, and that's because another after effect is that when you have a shared death experience, you come back from that experience with a sense that of knowing your life has a particular type of meaning and purpose that you then commit yourself to getting into, which is what the purpose of your show is: this intentional living, intentional life. Uh, and they get that from these experiences, and then people's grief is radically different. Uh, they, you always miss uh, your loved one. You're always going to have a heartbreak, as you said. Sorrow is a natural part of life, and grief is the price we pay for loving deeply. Uh, but the shared death experience uh, imbues this greater wisdom of realizing that death is a natural part of living and dying and the human experience. And so, the human experience is then placed in the larger context of a continuity of our soul spirit through many dimensions. And this is just one that occurs uh, naturally with human death. So all this to say that the benefits for learning about the SDE and learning about how you can have these um, is really important. And I should say, you know, we have resources on um, on the website for sure and I you know I teach courses all the time I'm teaching a course right now with dr Raymond Moody. Uh, I mentioned him earlier he was one of he was the really the founder of the SDE in the United States we're teaching an online course now it's wrapping up um, but there's others other opportunities and I'm going to start a course in another couple of weeks uh, that really talks about the, not just the the beautiful patterns but the benefits and how you can have these. With your friends and loved ones, and and that is a real gift when you you know can say to someone who's dying, "Hey, I think there's a way we can stay connected across the veil." And they'll look at you like what? And I say, "No, we there there are these experiences that we can uh, have that will you know kind of glue us in a certain way, bond us in a meaningful way." Uh, and then you know all of our all of the programs we do at the Share Crossing Project, similar to the work that you do, Temple. Community is the heart of it. We really bring people together to have meaningful conversations and dialogues about what matters most to them. Because when you talk about death, you boil it down to what matters most. And uh, and so and so yeah. So that's a bit about uh, the work, the book, and um, and and what I think you know how we as an organization, the Shared Crossing Project, can can support viewers because we're in the same work that you are. It's mission driven to help people you know, make sense of and drive comfort and peace around this really challenging act of dying.
0: Absolutely. And there's seven and a half billion people living. And that means already what we know is seven and a half billion people are dying. (laughs) And um, you're, you're, um, you know, my passion is to teach people don't die while you're living. And why are you, energetically speaking, and yours is, that death opens uh, it is at heaven's door it's a door and it's not a loss it's not a disappointment you know and I, I think that's something too that the beauty of new thought is that dying isn't that you failed, you know or you did what was it you were set out to do since day one um it, it it's not a disappointment or a failure or are you you know or, or this is the one time you didn't want to make the cut. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? um, so it's, uh, I just find it to always be great medicine for my soul. Every time there's a conversation, Yeah. you know, like you were talking about and they continue to communicate with you. As I told you, one of my deep, deep, deep special friends has been communicating with me from the other side since 1989. And, uh, and yet that is about having a door. If, if you don't have a door and you don't open your heart and allow, it's like miracles. You know, they don't come. Uh, you know, these kind of things come with uh, the openness of, of allowing that and, and believing that they're believing that they're so.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you're bringing up something else really important. And that is, you know, so yes, my my book is on the shared death experience. But my larger research mission is a series of end of life experiences that I create. I actually created a, the, the spectrum of end of life experiences. And that's because as I was doing my research, I found people naturally would come to my consultation office and say, you know, I, I don't think I had the shared death experience, but Before my mother was dying, I saw her talking to um, my deceased father and -hmm. they were having this conversation about things that I remembered that were important to them. And I don't think she was making this up. I think he was there. In fact, I kind of felt his presence there. So we call these pre-death visions and visitations. They're different from dreams because they're so real. They're actual visions and visitations of other beings. And sometimes the caregiver loved ones can have these, but most of the time we observe our loved ones having them. So we look at that. We we look at those experiences, too. We also look at pre-death premonitions. So many people have premonitions about when they, they themselves or their loved ones are going to be dying. And we're very interested in those because I'm finding a correlation about when those come up and why they come up for another conversation temple, but we're, but we're very interested in those. And then also on the flip side of death, this beautiful communication that you had since 1989 with one of your teachers or friends is just beautiful. That is very common. 56% of adult North Americans report having some type of communication with a, with a significant departed loved one. That's stunning. That's stunning because if you would if you would think if you walked into most of our medical offices and reported that, they would say something pejoratively or dismissive or not just take it up as it should be taken up. Um, something that affected, well, you're talking to ghosts or spirits, or that's you know, that's that's not really right or or good or whatever. What I'm saying to you is the research suggests, and my research continues, to study and validate these communications that happen. And they can happen through seeing departed loved ones, through hearing departed loved ones, through smelling departed loved ones. I had a a woman tell me just yesterday that her dog died and she was smelling him, her dog. And people are like, oh, so that answers another question. These happen with animals? Absolutely. And we love animal cases too. So there's a long-winded way of saying to your, Listeners, we, if you have a case like this, we want it. We take, you know, animals and pre and post death experiences, synchronicities as well. We love synchronicities because people talk about birds appearing and, you know, different behavior in nature. I mean, it all speaks to how connected we are. We are. And this is what I'm really at the end of the day. I just talked to a colleague of mine and she was, we were talking and she's a, uh, in death and dying as well. And we said, isn't all the teaching really uh, an end of life and these spiritual experiences that we're kind of all one that like this notion that we're individual and that we kind of, we're kind of like cut off from one another and we can't connect. It's like, is this, that's the biggest myth of all is that even in death, this thing that's supposed to terminate a relationship, we're still connected, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's, so it's all about this connection and love and light. And um, so, yes, wonderful
0: and in other also you know be comfortable being weird because if that's one of the greatest compliments you can receive but the other aspect of it is in my understanding you know this you're the expert in this field but i was thinking about i had a, a great aunt uh, well a number of them which previously i stated but one particular that i just adored her and um My mom called, and she said, you know, Aunt Claudia is in the last uh, hours of her life. And I went, oh, geez, I wish I could get there, but I can't. And I went out uh, shopping to an antique store looking around, and there was a woman, and the color of her hair was exactly similar to my great aunt. And the woman walked up to me, and she said something, and all of a sudden, it was like her face and everything changed. And it was my great aunt speaking through this person. And then in a minute it it went away, but I'm like, Whoa, that just happened. Yeah. She spoke through that person's body oh. and said something about my beauty or, you know, whatever. I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, doing that, but it was so meaningful. So There's so many expansive ways. And um, please go to sharedcrossing.com. Please get to know the work of William Peters. Please spread the work with your family and friends because it's time for us as a culture to be more healthy. William, you are always a pleasure. I love sitting in this space with you. (laughs) As we've proven, we talk for hours. But you are such a gift and I look forward to seeing where all this goes and I'm grateful to be a part of it. Thank you for being on our show today.
1: Temple, thanks for having me. I'm glad, honored that I'm the last guest on your on your show here. Awesome. But like like we know, everything continues and goes on, so we'll wait for the next chapter.
0: That's right. The next chapter, the next show. And thank
1: Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world.
0: I'm Laura Worcester, host of the Intuitive Life Podcast. As an intuitive medium and teacher working with the world of spirit, I love to share the
1: peace that comes with the awareness that our departed loved ones are still with us. And I also love to help people explore what it means to live an intuitively led life. Start
0: listening now on MindBodySpirit.fm or wherever you get your podcasts.